0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance, and my guest today is Danny Inney. He is the founder of Miracy, formerly known as Firepole Marketing, the host of a podcast called Business Reimagined, and the best selling author of multiple books, including Engagement from Scratch. So, Danny, thanks for joining me all the way from Montreal.
1: It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me, John.
0: Hey, we're going to talk about um, something that I really admire in your work, um, uh, narrative and storytelling and email campaigns and whatnot. But I want to start off with, because you you actually wrote a guest blog post for me, or for the Duct Tape Marketing site, on changing the name of your business, um, and which is something you just went through yourself, as I said in the intro. And I'm curious um, if you could just maybe start off a little bit with why the change, what it meant... Yeah, how absolutely. to do it? Because <laughs> I, I think that's something that a lot of people have will have some interest in.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it's you know it, it's it's a question that comes up a lot because it is a difficult transition to make. It's like it's the kind of thing where if you don't have a good reason to do it, don't do it because it's going to hurt. Yeah. Um. But here's kind of what it comes down to. You know, we we used to be called Firepole Marketing. Firepole Marketing is a name that um, I came up with um, with my then business partner, um, and. You know, we didn't have a cl- very clear idea of what we were going to be doing as a business. And we were spending lots of time, like, looking for different names and searching dot coms and nothing was available. And eventually, you know, I came up with, well, how about Fireball? You know, because, like, when, when your business is burning down, you don't have time for the stairs. <laughs> and we never, you know, I never loved the name. We never did anything with that analogy. We're very much about teaching people how to, like, build things that are real as opposed to, like, you know, fast first responder kind of yes, stuff. Yes. Like, that's not who we are. Yeah. No. And it kind of got to a point where, you know, Firepole marketing was kind of representative of where we were and not really representative of who we are and not at all representative of where we're going. Like, I'd, I'd go to a conference and people would say, oh, Firepole marketing. What kind of marketing do you do? And, of course, I'd have to say, well, we don't do marketing for people. We're actually an education company.
0: Yeah.
1: So it just it, it didn't fit with our identity. And... There's a quote that i I don't remember where it's from, so I can't give credit, but it's um, very powerful I thought it's the basically the idea that anything that has to be done eventually should be done immediately yeah. <laughs> and you know yes it's 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 been a bit of a bumpy transition, but it had to be done, and who we are now really positions us to go in the direction that we're going, and, and yeah. that's why
0: T- tell me this um. And maybe you know, maybe this is a dumb American question, um, but uh, the, not only did you change the name, you changed it to a name that people have to say, what is that? hmm so, so did that sort of up the quotient for you?
1: Well, there were – so I'll, t- I'll tell you how we arrived at the name. Um, we actually hired a firm that this is what they do. They come up uh-huh. with names for things. And it's, it's quite an experience. Like you have all these lengthy conversations and you yeah. tell them about what you're doing and they ask about your customers and your brand. And, you know, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you yeah. be and oh, all that kind of stuff. Oh,
0: there's some hugging, certainly, that goes on.
1: Like, it, But it gives them an insight. And, <laughs> and honestly, the questions were good. Like they were asking good questions. Sure. And they come back with a list of names that, you know, most of which feel totally off the mark. They don't really fit. And so we went back and forth and did a few rounds of these, probably went through like 50 different names. Wow. And we arrived at one that I didn't love it, but I was like, okay, I could kind of see that. So we started going through the process. I paid, um, I think it was like $7,000 to buy the .com. Not even the .com we wanted, because it was like the name Inc. Uh-huh. So the name Inc. .com is what I paid $7,000 for. The name .com just wouldn't have been available.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And we start going through the motions with the, the, like, copyright lawyers and stuff. And shortly into that process, the lawyer comes back and says, if you use this name, there's a very good chance that so-and-so fill-in-the-blank big brand will sue you. So I was like, okay, back to the drawing board. And looking at those two challenges, the first being that it's very hard to find a name that is meaningful and not taken and doesn't infringe on someone's IP. And that doesn't step on the toes of existing mental connotations. So we decided to go with a coined name, which means a made-up name. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a made-up string of syllables. Mira in Latin languages means to um, to see or to wonder at what you can see. And, of course, see in English means to see. So kind of it connotes wondering at what is possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you ask, what's that? And I tell you, it gives you an extra layer of insight but if you don't ask what's that, just because of your background with English and Latinate language, it kind of connotes where we're going yeah. while still being an empty vessel for what we're putting into it. In theory, right? I could be wrong about all of that.
0: but That's, <laughs> my, that's my rationalization. But that leads right, you know, perfect segue into what I really wanted to talk about today. And you just told us a story. And, and I think that, you know, for those that listened, that took the time to listen to that, they probably have a lot deeper insight into you and your business already. Uh, just, just from hearing that story about how you chose a name and what it meant. Um, how – hopefully you agree with that. But, uh, but, but how do you feel that that, um, that lesson or that idea fits into pretty much everything that I think we have to do as marketers today?
1: I think – so here's the underlying thing that most people don't get. I mean, there's still this like holdover from from you know business school theorists of the rational actor, that you know when somebody makes a decision, it's because they've carefully weighed the pros and the cons and the costs and the benefits, and it's the most advantageous outcome. And you know, not to say that people are totally irrational. I mean, there is a, a method to our madness, but that's just not how we think. Um, we're much more seeing ourselves as the protagonists of our story. And protagonists in a story don't make the cold, calculated best decision. They follow along with the momentum of the plot and they rise to an occasion when given the opportunity. That's just how we see ourselves and how we think. Actually, a lot of... uh, I mean, this is super relevant as marketers because, you know, ultimately, you're helping your audience craft the narrative in which a relationship for them with your brand and what you're doing makes sense and is relevant. But it's also super relevant for us as entrepreneurs because a lot of our self-identity and our ability to navigate um, challenging occurrences, and you know, as an entrepreneur, your life is navigating challenging <laughs> occurrences, right. it comes down to your reframing of what just happened because – you can, you know, if you have a, a, a narrative arc, follow like a basic story formula, where, um, you know, the, there's a protagonist, an opportunity emerges, and they go and they pursue it, and all that stuff happens. The tenor of the story is determined by the end. If it works out well, it's a tra- it's a comedy. If it works out badly, it's a tragedy. And so we go through this narrative arc of our experience, and if something goes wrong in a in a in a blink of an eye, it turns this amazing thing that we were doing into a tragedy and it reshapes our whole identity and it takes some kind of mental narrative manipulation work to step back and realize that it's a different story i, I like to tell people that um, failure is only failure if it happens in the last chapter otherwise it's a plot twist
0: yeah <laughs>
1: that, that's a mental discipline for entrepreneurs
0: yeah yeah, yeah. no you're absolutely right otherwise you know, you wouldn't you you wouldn't get back up again right um so when I listen to you say it talk about that and I think I think some companies get this now or are starting to get this now. I mean it really if you use that kind of screenplay plot, you know drama thing, I mean I think a lot of that plays into how we cast our customer you know as the main character or the hero uh, mm-hmm. even in the story, as opposed to the other way around because I think 90% of the businesses out there cast themselves as the hero. We're here to help you. Um, and I think that this is this is a pretty big shift, isn't it? It is.
1: I mean, if you think about it, we're here to help you. Like, the person who is here to help someone is never the hero in a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's not how it... So it's just people are kind of misconstruing... Nobody thinks Star Wars is the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Um, but it's very hard to put our egos aside. And, and by the way, I want to give credit where credit's due. I mean, I, I've done a lot of work in the field of narrative in marketing in a, in a very tactical way, kind of crafting a campaign so that people are kind of moving through a story. But I mean, the guy to, to look to in terms of, um, applying story elements to marketing is Don Miller with his, his story brand work, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, credit where credit's due there.
0: <clears throat> well, I would go back farther than that. I know, I know Don's work as well. I would, I would go back to Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. uh, in the forties. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the hero of a thousand faces that, you know, kind of kind of breaks down that every great story has this formula. Um, or, you know, it may end differently and the characters may be different and the struggles they go through, but there's kind of this whole hero's journey thing uh, that I think really has a lot of, uh, I, I think a lot to do with, with how people travel through the journey of our businesses.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there is that and, and kind of that's where I was pointing to, you know, Don has done a great job of kind of exploring that in detail um, in, in a very macro way in terms of looking at the overall story of your relationship with the brand right um, but when we come to you know a lot of the stuff we've talked about um, privately before recording this the use of story and narrative in in your marketing very tactically with email for example you know the creation of a campaign that is not just a bunch of emails saying hey here's some stuff yeah. but rather gets people to lean in and become a part of a story um, that
0: that's the part where I I get really excited well so is there and and I don't mean this in a negative way I mean is there a formula to that I mean are are there certain sort of stages in the journey that we have to pass through um, or is it completely obviously the words you use are different depending upon who you are and what you're selling but you know is there kind of a, a a staging formula for this
1: um, there is, there is, there, there. I mean, depends on the direction you're going. There are a number, of, a number of possible formulas, um, but like here's the basic principle that so many businesses don't get, and just internalizing this can transform your marketing and your business. The first time that your customer, or your, I should say, not your customer, the first time your prospect hears about what you're doing, should not be when you're asking them for their credit card,
0: or even, or maybe even an opt-in. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Like, before you ask somebody for something, you want to create the interest and desire for it. It, And, you know, people confuse. They think sales and marketing is the same thing or it's, you know, interchangeable. It's not. Sales is about buy my thing. Mm -hmm. Marketing is about here's why you need something like my thing but not necessarily mine. So you can do marketing without mentioning your product specifically.
0: Yeah, maybe you're just trying to get them to realize there is a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. That's exactly <laughs> it. There is a problem, and the solution looks a lot like
0: this. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and by the way, I've got one just like it. So do you – I know you do a lot of launches, and you consult with people not only your own, but you teach people how to do these. I mean, could you sort of off the top of your head say, well, here's what five emails like that would look like?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's less about a number of emails. it's yeah, yeah, more yeah, about yeah. Um, a few key pieces of messaging so the first big key pieces and, and this is based very much on on Jeff Walker's work in this area but mm-hmm. the big first piece of messaging is the transformational opportunity and that requires a trigger right If if I'm introducing you to the story of a launch it's like here is something that has emerged onto the scene or that I have discovered something that you were not aware of but I'm sharing with you That opens up a possibility that you did not know was possible, or you did not know, believe, or that you, sorry, you did not believe was possible for you, right? Because if it's something you already knew about, then why is this relevant? Why is this new? There's got to be a new angle, a new direction, something new that I can bring to the table that makes something possible that wasn't possible before. And you know, this is obviously we're talking about a very particular kind of marketing. If you're selling a commodity, it's different. Right. If you're selling something that people like, you know, if you're if you're an accountant and it's tax season, then you don't need this. You just need to have what people are looking for. Um, but if you have a service that is not immediately obvious or a product that is not immediately obvious to the customer, you have to introduce to them why they need it and why it will be valuable to them. It starts with the opportunity. There's either an outcome they want but don't have or a problem that they have and don't want. And you've introduced there's something that makes it possible that this doesn't have to be a problem anymore. So uh, let's actually just let's make this really tangible. Let's make something up on the fly. What's, a, uh, what's an imaginary business that we could be doing this for?
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to make it challenging for you. You, you listed, <coughs> excuse me, that accountant. What if that accountant actually had this awesome tax planning service that would save people tremendous amount of taxes but they don't you know they don't realize these opportunities or these these strategies are even available okay cool let's do it
1: so cuz yeah that would work there, the, the and the key thing here is the accountant has he's not just selling apples in, in a supermarket there's something special
0: yeah it's a, it's a $10,000 tax blueprint
1: okay so he's got the $10,000 tax blueprint so the first thing that you want to present is the transformational opportunity. So what is um, what is made possible that wasn't possible before? So I'm thinking out loud here. Um, we've got the tax blueprints, and um, it's going to allow them to, I guess, save a lot of money on their taxes. Yeah, I think it's um, going to it's
0: going to demonstrate places ways in which they they have been for years overpaying their taxes.
1: Okay, so why were they not aware of these ways before?
0: Because they've been working with a very traditional CPA who was afraid of his shadow.
1: Okay. So. As long
0: as you're making this up.
1: (laughs) Well, no, no. This is perfect. This is like we're starting to get into something. Why do you not know about this? Because most of, because accountants are not huge risk takers usually. The nature of being an accountant is that you tend to not like to take risks. You like things to be exactly neat and in order. Um, So. Let's continue this hypothetical. How does our hypothetical accountant who's got this amazing service, how did he come to do this? How, why does he, is he not risk-averse in the same way?
0: He understands the tax code, uh, which is extremely, extremely complicated in a way that uh, that most CPAs don't even bother with after they finish their CPA exam. Okay. So he's, he's actually unearthed smarter some, and more immersed. He's just unearthed some things that nobody's talking about.
1: Okay. So there's got to be – because we just talked about why do other people not have this? Yeah. Well, they are – they don't want to take risks. Right. So like w- – w- and this is fine because it's a hypothetical, right? But we're changing the story here a little bit. A moment ago, the story was other people don't do this because they're afraid to take the risk. Right. And now the story is other people don't do this because they, d- they haven't looked deeply enough to know it's possible. Yeah. But there's got to be something, and so we can choose which story it is. And of course, you don't like we're creating the story that accurately articulates what is really on the table. So we're not making stuff up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so let's let's say it's the latter. Okay. You know, our accountant has looked just much much deeper. Well, there's something about him that is different from other accountants, or he wouldn't have looked much much deeper.
0: That's
1: right. Right. So maybe he um, he was a stamp collector when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that created just a huge sense of, like, meticulous attention to detail that even accountants um, don't have. They're used to noticing the details, but they're not used to digging into the minute, like, the history of the stamp and and digging really deep to see why is this important and unique. Um, so, you know, that initial piece of messaging, and I'm just, you know, this is not great copy. I'm just off the top of my head. Yep. Um what a twelve-year-old's stamp collecting hobby could um, do to save you twenty-four um, percent of your annual taxes. Right. And you know, of course, don't make up numbers; it's got to be real. But yep, I'm yep, an accountant.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, what you're doing is, and obviously, this story's got to be real too. Of course. Uh, but but you're you're interjecting something that that I think completely reframes. You know, it's not I'm smarter than other accountants and your accountant's bad. You know, it just kind of reframes the superpower almost in a way that is going to benefit you.
1: Exactly. So, you know, you tell the story. So this accountant was like, you know, he was following his process, which he does with everything since he was a 12-year-old collecting stamps. And he dug deep and he discovered this piece of the tax code that most accountants don't know about and they don't know about it because let's i'm making stuff up but let's say this is the story they don't know about it because it's kind of obscure and it doesn't apply to most businesses but this accountant doesn't serve most businesses he serves a very specific kind of business in a very specific kind of industry and most accountants just you know they don't they're much more generalized so they haven't looked that deep and he found that for this particular kind of business there is this enormous opportunity and here are the results and if you're interested in learning more, we'll stay tuned because I've got a report of three things that you can do that are going to shave thousands of dollars off of your annual tax filing um, that I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you next. And that's kind of leading into the next piece of content.
0: There's a there's a piece I want you to elaborate on there because you you went basically through a process of saying. Here, if you're this, it's for you. If you're not this, it's not for you. So I kind of narrowed my market, but I also I also kind of gave people the opportunity to say, well, yeah, I'm special. You're talking about mm-hmm. me, right? I mean, and I think that's an element that was in there that you maybe, I know it was in there intentionally, but I, I wanted to highlight that.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And and it's important, you know, you don't want to, let's say that our, our imaginary accountant did want to serve, you know, all of the business industries. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to kind of make it specific to this is for you and not other people in some other way. That would be fine. Like you don't want to you don't want to niche it down in a way that takes out people you would legitimately want to do business with. Right. You want to make it focused enough so that all the right people can raise their hand, and say yes, this is for me, and they can also kind of point to a lot of other people and say, well, but it's not for
0: them. Is there a risk? Because I, I I can see some people saying, well, gosh, this is. You know, manipulative almost. Um, is there a risk of being too you know, too much of a formula? Too much of, I mean, because I what I'm guessing is there are people out there that are abusing the power that this has. <laughs> sure. uh, and so, you know, how do you? not come across as one of those uh, folks you know I used to pick on the internet marketers you know when I first started uh, years ago that were selling you know right when we got in the internet and all these folks were were selling you know everything that was worthless for you know all kinds of money to get rich and they're still out there but doesn't seem to be as many of them but um, you know how do you not kind of get lumped into that crowd of saying I'm using this voodoo magic on you
1: Uh, Well, first of all, it's not voodoo magic.
0: Again, I'm I'm being facetious, but I mean...
1: Well, no, no, but that's an important distinction. The, 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 you know, crafting a cool story isn't going to sell something people don't want. It's only going to help people connect with why something is actually going to serve them in the way that they're looking for. Um, And in terms of, you know, how... It's a tricky question because, I mean, obviously the big important answer is you're, you, whatever you're selling should be good. Yeah, right. right. People who were selling lots of stuff for lots of money that didn't really deliver, they're not around anymore. Not because, and there are some are still around, but most of them are not around anymore. Not because the tactics don't work, but because, you know, it's not sustainable to sell garbage for lots of money. So what you're selling should be good. That said... There is definitely an effect of, you know, you fly with the crows, you get shot with the crows. And that's just how it is. So you want to be very careful that if you're using, um, let's call it a strategy that has been abused in um, in an industry and has been abused by people who you don't want to be associated with, Mm -hmm. do it differently.
0: Mm -hmm. So...
1: Um, I have nothing against the kind of three-video launch sequence if it's you know teaching good stuff and delivering good content and telling a good story leading to a good product. I have no problem with that. But let's say that your market would be very sensitive to that and you're uncomfortable with that. Well, then don't do it. I very carefully, in, in all of our discussion, I never said three videos. I said three big pieces of content, mm-hmm. right? Three big pieces of messaging because there are three important things to convey. And they are the transformational opportunity, the fact that this... Can and will work specifically for the person you're talking to, and future pacing, which is a picture of what will life be like afterwards. Right. And you know that can be conveyed in a series of ten emails. That could be conveyed in one giant long report. There are a lot of ways that you can do it that don't have to fit the form that people have looked to be have learned to be suspicious of.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's probably that's a tremendous distinction. Um, what about voice? Uh, one of the things i' I've, I've noted certainly from your material and I think from a lot of people that are doing this well is there does seem to be this conversational almost casual uh let's get to know each other as people uh tone is that um is that just is that is that market dependent industry dependent brand dependent or is that an element that is necessary
1: um yes to all of the above <laughs> um like, here's the thing, you don't have to adopt somebody else's voice. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, if you try to adopt somebody else's voice, it's probably not going to work, like it's going to ring hollow and false. But that said, whatever you're putting out there, your messaging, whether it's in writing, whether it's in video, whatever it is, it's got to be good, it's got to be compelling, it's got to be engaging. And, you know, corporate speak, or academic style, writing, Like they don't that's not good writing. It's not engaging. And the only people who read them are the people who have to. <laughs> so if, you know, if, if you're writing a long proposal, responding to an RFP, and there's somebody whose job is to read it, they may not, may not like it, but they will probably read it. If you're presenting something to people who can very easily go elsewhere, just you know the, the bar for earning people's attention is higher. So it's not that you have to be informal and casual, but it has to be well-written, and that's usually what good writing is. I mean, if you read Malcolm Gladwell, you know, like his work or don't like his work, the guy's a great writer. He's
0: a good storyteller, for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Is he a a super informal writer? No, it's just engaging. Yeah. So whoever – like what I would say to anyone who's kind of worried about adopting a style, find someone in your space who you find engaging and compelling – And model that. And if there's nobody in your space who's engaging and compelling, then be a little more comfortable stepping outside of your space in terms of style.
0: Yeah, and that actually may present a great opportunity. I see that all the time, you know, where people, marketers will say, oh, nobody in our industry does that. And I'm kind of like, ooh, there's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so that's great. So um, one of the things that you do that I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on, um, I subscribe to… I guess your entire stream. Uh, so I get, you know, all the emails um, and a lot of them are just kind of, hey, here's a thought I had. they um, not trying to sell anything, at least I don't think so um, <laughs> sometimes, but, uh, but really just almost like you're just my friend, you know, sharing a thought. Is that, um, and, and I, I don't mean calculated, is that intentional um, to have as part of the kind of stay top of mind, stay in the conversation?
1: It is. It's, so it comes down to a few things, right? It's, first of all, people don't like to be sold to. Mm-hmm. And they especially don't like to always be sold to. Like, right. you don't want, you know, you know the friend who is, um, you know, they're they always email, they're always wanting something. They're always taking something. Like, you see their name in your inbox or on your phone. You don't have to pick up the phone. You know, they, okay, they want something.
0: Right.
1: Um, you don't look forward to interacting with that person. And when they do reach out to you, you don't trust their motives. Like, when that person says, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you, Mm -hmm. you roll your eyes and you're like, what do you want now? (laughs) Right? As opposed to, you know, and we have friends who are great friends and they ask for things and that's fine. They say, hey, let's do a project and it's going to be work. And you're like, okay, I'm game for that. Because you trust their intentions. So it's not like I am... Um, I've crafted a careful balance of offer and non-offer emails that are meant to create the illusion that I actually care about. (laughs) No, I actually legitimately care about my audience, right? I want them to understand and I want to support them in achieving the goals that matter to them. And I have paid training programs they can take that will help them. And that's that's a perfect fit for a, a segment of the people who I interact with who are in a certain time and place. And for a lot of other people they're either not quite there or the timing isn't right, but there's still a lot that I can share with them. And I'm happy to share that. I want them to to know that I am working in their best interest. And if I say, hey, I've got something I think you should do and you don't have to pay anything for it, certainly not to me, I just think you should do it. And another time I say, hey, I've got something I think you should do and you're gonna have to pay me some money so I can help you do it. I want them to know that in both cases, my intention is to help them.
0: So that is a great segue to my last question, and that was, um, why don't you tell people where they can find more information on really all the things that that we've been talking about today, but then obviously on uh, the the, the opportunity to maybe get some more in-depth training from you and with you.
1: Sure. So um, I would say uh, check out my podcast, which is Business Reimagined. Um, Check out our website, mirasee.com, and there's an enormous amount of free content there, um, and you can check out my books on Amazon. Just search Danny Any and you'll find them. And you know, I, I honestly don't I don't think anyone who's heard this conversation could be in a position to say, Oh my god, Danny, I've got to give you some money to teach you, <laughs> so you can teach me something. And I, I don't like rushing those relationships, you know? Yes. If you like what I have to say, then check out more of what I have to say. And if that leads you to say, Oh hey, here's a problem Danny and his organization can help me with, then great. And if you just get a whole bunch of content that's going to help you achieve your goals, then that's great, too. And I'm, I'm certainly happy with that either
0: way. Absolutely. Well, you and I are in total agreement on that one. So, Danny, thanks for joining me. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out there on the road, maybe not in uh, Chile, Montreal quite this time of year, though. <laughs> maybe Austin. Thank you, John.